Uh, and it is not the fruit that just comes from our own strength or from our own personal change or anything like that. It comes from the work of God inside of us. When the Holy Spirit comes in and indwells a new believer, and every believer that is ever saved, He begins to do a lifelong work. And the Lord, the same God who has begun this work, will complete this work. And so we want to look here that the fruit of this, we talked uh, last week dealing with the first verse, dealing with the first fruit of it is that of love, of real faith brings real love. And now today we're going to be looking at real faith, the fruit of this new birth brings obedience. And really all three of these things that we're going to be looking at over the, these five verses, that they are certainly separate, but yet they are all together. You really won't have one without the other. And we'll see that as we go along. Let's read here verse number one through five today. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Everyone that loveth him that begat, that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Here's what we find in verse 1 and verse 5, sort of the um, bookends, if you will, to this little passage about this fruit of the new birth. The, the bookends is faith in Christ. Notice verse 1 says, uh, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. That's to be born again. It's to be born from above. It is to have that new birth, that new relationship, to be made a new creature, a new creation in Christ Jesus. That's what salvation is. But then verse 5, Who is the one that has overcome the world? but he that believed that Jesus is the Son of God. Notice that. You will not have victory, love, or obedience that we'll talk about today without real faith. It is real faith in Christ and who He is and what He has done and true resting and confident faith in His work that it is nothing that I have done, nothing I could ever do, but it is in Christ alone that my hope is found, that salvation is found, that my life is now in. It is all in Christ, all about Christ. When we have that, then these things will immediately follow. There will be a real love for God and for people. There will be an obedience to the Lord and to His Word. And there will be victory that is found not through us trying to find the, the victorious Christian life, but rather the victorious Christian life being lived through us uh, and, and in us. The victory is already there, and we'll look at that next week. Let's look here verse 2 and 3 today about obedience. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. We know that we love the children of God. Right? We know that we can love the children of God, meaning one another, because we know that we are His child, and we know that we're His child because we've been born of Him, because we believe and trust in Him. Notice how these things flow together. Right? It's almost like John wrote this in a letter. <laughs> Just goes, right? flows together. Now here the word know or knoweth, or known is kind of important here. It is the idea of having this, this deep knowledge. It is one of an, an, an entire knowledge. It is not just of intellectual knowledge. It is not just even just of one of uh, a hope so in your heart, or this little twinkle in your eye. And it is not of one that is seen just on the outside, but it is all-encompassing. We find the word know, knoweth, known, that sort of thing, 31 times in 1 John. It doesn't seem like it, but it's such a short book. Five chapters, 31 times. We find this. It is very important because what John has been doing the whole time is very simple. He's not trying to reinvent the wheel. He's not trying to deliver new truths. Rather, he's going, 
look back at what we know from what Christ has taught us, and now let what we know do uh, drive us to, to be who we're supposed to be. Um, knowledge, in proper knowledge, biblical knowledge, um, a, a spiritual knowledge of things must come from the Lord, must be directed to the Lord, and it will truly affect us in our heads, in our hearts, and then with our hands. We often have it backwards in our churches, certainly in religion it has it backwards that, well, you only know God if you do all these things, but really we have to understand we do these things because we know Him. We don't do things on the outside to know God or to try to earn His favor or to try to earn His merit. We can't do that. It is because grace has already been given that we did not deserve, right? Unmerited favor. That now we live, and rather He lives through us, then we accomplish things because of obedience. Now, let's look at this. When we love God and keep His commandments, He says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. One cannot love God and disobey His commands. Now, you might be saying, well, what about my sin? Don't I still sin? Isn't that so disobedience? Yes, it is. The idea here is that of continual disobedience. You say, well, I'm going to keep sinning till the rest of my life, so how do I actually know I'm saved? Yes, you are, and so will I in our flesh. The issue here is this continual, intentional sin that he's already talked about uh, throughout this letter of those who say that they have no sin, but we deceive ourselves and truth is not in us. And those who are walking in darkness, as he had talked about in chapters 1 and chapter 2, dealing with those who are continuously living as they used to live, continuously living in the way of the world. And he says those that live in the way of the world, those that live that way really are of the world. They have not been truly born again or they've left the faith. Those who have been the Antichrist that he talked about in chapters 2 and 3 and onward, those are the ones who truly do not know Him because if we know Him, then we will obey Him. Do we obey the Lord perfectly? No. That's one of the beauties of heaven is the fact that one day in the new heavens and the new earth, we won't have to worry about disobeying the Lord anymore. It says that there shall be no more curse there. You know what the curse causes us to do? Disobey the Lord. Because in my sin-cursed body, what do I do? I fail Him, right? In, in my flesh, I fail the Lord. Here's the thing that we've got to understand, too, about our Christian walk and Christian life. When you sin, it is your work. You did that, right? It's, you can't look around and go, who made this mess? I made this mess, right? Now, how about when you do something good? It is Christ in you. So when you do something good, it's not that, oh, I finally got it right. No, no. You yielded to the Lord. He lived through you. The issue is whether we yield to our flesh or whether we yield by faith to the Spirit of God. And so the true Christian, the real believer, is going to live a life of obedience uh, that is an outworking and an outflowing of a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can fake a lot of outward things, but real obedience to the things of God is a different ballgame. You can do churchy things and still not be obedient to the Lord. You can do many great and nice things in the world. You could go start an orphanage in Africa and still be disobedient to the Lord. You would say, well, that doesn't sound very disobedient, right? It sounds like a nice thing. But listen, how we go about things and whether, whether we're doing or, find, or founding something or uh, working in something that is given to God and through God and by God, that's, that's different. Real obedience. Now, the new birth gives us the new nature. Right? We have a new nature. We're new creatures, new creations in Christ. And this is what allows us to love God 
and to obey God. Notice how they build on one another. If we love Him, verse 1, then we're going to obey Him. We don't love out of this way of just like, uh, of this sort of obligatory love. Rather, it is a, a love of that now we are obedient in loving Him because His love has been shed abroad in our hearts. Now we obey Him not because we're obligated, but because we're obedient to His Word. We're obedient to His love. We're obedient to the Spirit that is now within us. The argument here is I have here is, is circular and inseparable. It sounds like it just goes on and on and on because you can tie it this way, you can go it over here, right? If you don't have love, you won't have obedience. If you don't have obedience, then you can't prove love. Well, that's because it really is. They all go together. This is sort of a, a, a trinity in, in and of itself in verses 1 through 5 of this chapter. The reason why we have love and obedience and victory is because there's a real new birth by faith in Christ. But if there is no real birth in, by real faith in Christ, then there will not be real love, there will not be real obedience, there will not be real victory. And we have victory when we are obedient to the Lord. We have victory when we're loving the Lord. And we love the Lord, we're obedient to the Lord out of victory that is found in faith in Christ. Right? See how these, right? it kind of goes and goes and goes round and round and round. But it's all tied in together. Now we can know that we love God by loving our brethren, but we can know we love the brethren by loving and obeying God. We see how that goes? It is a proof. To love the brothers and sisters of the faith is proof that we have a genuine love for God. But in loving them as well, um, that in loving God, we see that we should then have a proof of loving people. It is our purpose behind it. Now, um, let's look here over in the Gospel of John for just a few moments. We want to look at the commands and, and some things of what he had given John is much writing about from what he already knows, and what he already knows we can read in the Gospel of John. Turn with me to John 14. John 14, verse 15. tells us, If ye love me, keep my commandments, is what Jesus said to them. And then in, uh, over in uh, chapter 15, verses 12 to 14. He says, this is my commitment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man laid down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. So who is Jesus' friends? Those that obey. Who are those that obey? Those that love Him. Who are those that love Him? Those who have put their trust in Him. We see how this all comes together. And so, here's what happens. We try and try and try to obey the Lord in our flesh. And where does it leave us? Frustrated? Right? We fail when we try to do it in our flesh. If we had the strength to be saved in our flesh, then it would not be of grace, it would not be of God, it would be of ourselves. We don't have that to save ourselves. What makes us think that we have it to sanctify ourselves? We don't. It is found through the grace and obedience to the Lord. It is simply yielding to Him and what He has already given. Now, obeying His commands here. The great command ultimately, as he had just talked about in John 14 and 15 that we read there, is dealing with love. Right? If you love him, keep his commands. And here's my command. Let you love one another. That you lay down your life for one another. Now, we have seen this reiterated all throughout 1 John, but over then in, in Matthew uh, chapter 22. Turn there for just a moment. Matthew chapter 22, verse 36 to 40. Very familiar passage. It says, when the Pharisees had heard, in verse 34, had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. And then one of, the question, of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, 
Master, which is the great commandment in the law? And they're trying to go, all right, nail it down, right? Tell us what's the best one because we already know the answer. Right. Here's what Jesus says. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So if you read the Ten Commandments, it in some way we see that even this is found to be true. Love God, the first four, right? The last six, what do you find? Love people, how you love your neighbor as yourself. Now, can we fulfill that? Nope. Not in our flesh, we can't. Right? We, we certainly can't. Matter of fact, you can take and look, even in witnessing with folks, you can take the Ten Commandments and look. You ever lied before? Right? Well, sure. Right? Even a little white lie is still a lie, right? And so what do you call someone who lies? Call them a liar. Right? You ever taken the Lord's name in vain before? Well, yeah, unfortunately, right? What do you call that? You call them a blasphemer. Right? And so we find that you walk all the way through the Ten Commandments. We're guilty, guilty, guilty. So, Jesus sums up all the law and all the prophets because the prophets didn't preach really anything new either. What did the prophets preach? Major and minor prophets, what were they preaching? Repent. Get back to the real thing, which is faith in the Lord and obedience to the Lord. And what did faith and obedience bring for the children of Israel in the Old Testament? It brought a blessing. What does faith and obedience bring to us? Well, it brings the blessing of walking and fellowship. As we're talking about here in 1 John 5, obedience and faith bring us the victory that is, is meant for us to have, as, as we'll talk about next week. Well, here we see that he says, on these commandments, hang all the law and the prophets, is to love God and to love one another. And we often struggle with loving God, and we wonder why we struggle with loving people. Right? If we're struggling loving people, well, let's get back to the root. Let's love God. We have got to grow in a love for the Lord if we ever desire to grow in a love for people. Let's just be honest, right? Y'all okay with, with being honest? People are frustrating. Amen? Right? Okay. Unsanctified pastor up here, right? People are frustrating. I'm frustrating, and I know I am. I can't imagine living with me. I'd, I'd go crazy, right? <laughs> We're frustrating people. We're difficult people. It's often said where you have people, you have problems. And if there aren't no problems, people will make them. That's, that's what we do as human beings. We fail. We falter. But nevertheless... As frustrating as mankind is, as difficult as we are, what does God do? He loves us. He is patient and kind and gracious. And meanwhile, right, if the person at the stoplight lingers too long after it's turned green, we're honking horns. We might even give them a little tap, right? Because we're trying to collect that insurance money for our bumper, right? Uh, the whole thing, right? We'll, we'll go. We'll do whatever it takes. We're, we're not so quick to just love God and go, because God loves them and I love God, I must love them. It's hard, isn't it? It's not easy. Imagine as hard as it is for us to love people, yet the Lord just does it. So when we have a new heart placed in us, when we've been born again, it should be our natural tendency, our natural desire to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. To obey God is to love God. And to love God is to obey God. This is what we've got to understand. You won't have the one without the other. As he's talked about throughout this letter already a multitude of times, and even 
uh, he's just repeating essentially what Jesus had said, that if there is love for me, you will keep my commandments. And John is saying, if you say that you love him, you will obey him. This is why you cannot continue to walk in darkness. This is why you cannot lie about your salvation and lie about your good deeds and lie about your love or your forgiveness for your brothers and sisters. He had just said at the end of chapter 4, if a man say, I love God and hate his brother, he's a liar. And he doesn't love God is the idea. He's saying you can say you love God all you want, but if there is no love, if there is no obedience, there is no obedience and there is no real love for God. And if there is no real love for God, there is no faith. And there, if there is no real faith and there is no new birth, and there, if there is no new birth, you must be born again. We've got to get out of this sort of mentality where we just want people to try better or do better or turn over a new leaf or, you know, maybe just to, to just get some bad habits out of their life. No, people need to be born again. There's no other way around that. We can try as we might. We can, uh, there's plenty of lost people who have quit drugs and alcohol. Praise God for it. But you know what they still need? To be born again. But you can quit all these sorts of big and bold sins of the world, but unless you are born again, it is all for naught. And the Christian, though, here, as we look, he says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. We keep it. We obey it. The Christian is to be characterized by obedient love, not obligatory love. And sadly, what I think many outside of the church see and even what many in the church do is they love God or they love church, or they love Jesus or they love each other out of obligation. Church should never be done out of a tradition that you follow, but rather a truth that you trust in. Church should never be about should never be about obligation. I've got to do it. I've got to help out. I've got to come. I've got to sit. I've got to it's not an obligation. Any, anyone here, you're not being held here against your, your will, right? So if I go over, just, just go if you need to, right? You're not obligated to stay, uh, wrap it up. We're not obligated to come to church. No. It's obedient love that brings us here. It's I'm here because I want to obey the Lord. The Lord has called us to gather. The Lord has called us to be of one mind. The Lord has called us to sing. The Lord has called us to witness. The Lord has called us these things. I'm not obligated to do those things because I'm a, a Christian. I do those things because I'm obedient and I want to be obedient as a Christian. I want to be a real Christ follower. And he says here that his commandments are not grievous. We're going to get into that in just a moment. You see, true believers love to obey God. It's a joy. I think about this when, when I was a kid, right? It wasn't always a joy to take out the trash when I got asked to take out the trash, was it? Never. Joe, will you take out the trash? Sure. I noticed they did not say when. Will you take I will take it out. You did not specify when, and this is how my mind worked, and this is what got me in trouble. I did not know when you want me to take it out. You just said you want it out. I will take it out. I'm assuming you want that done on my time. Right now, I- I'm busy. I'm in the middle of a video game, or I'm doing this, or whatever it is, right? I'm, I'm killing a slug with salt. I don't know what I'm, whatever I did as a kid, right? I'm busy, but I will. I will do it. And then it turns into Joseph. Right? Now my full name's coming out. We take out the trash. Yeah, 
like I said this already, I'm going to take out the trash. And then it's Joseph, middle name, Bryant, right? Take out the trash. I know it's serious. It's a, I didn't ask you, will, take it out. Now it's taking it out. Fine, right? Go get the trash. Can, you take the lid off. You grab the trash. You yank it up as hard as you can. You want to be nice and loud. You tie the strings together. You, because <clears throat> the suction holds the trash can. The trash can falls. And you go, I'll just pick it up when I come back. And you sling it. You close the door good and hard, but not too hard because you're not going to push it that bad. You go out. You're grudging about this. You're obligated to do it now because now it's been first and middle and last name. Take it out. It's no longer obedient. I could say I took out the trash, but I didn't do it out of obedience. Right? And so what happens is this. Let's, let's look spiritually. When the Lord asks us to take out the trash in our life, are we doing it out of obligation? God, I don't want to give that up. I, I will later. Right? I've had friends who say, I'll get saved later, not now, later. I'll wait till I'm old. When's old, right? We don't know how old we'll ever be or ever get to be. You have people who say, well, I just, I don't want to give it up. Well, that's your idol. Right? But we're now we're, we've made an obligation to follow the Lord. It's not an obligation, it's a joy. And it should bring us joy to obey our Heavenly Father that when He says, go, do, we go, yes, thank you, Lord. You want to use me? Okay. Joyful obedience. Guzik writes, the one who says he loves God yet walks in a lifestyle of conscious disobedience is like the believer who says he walks in fellowship with God yet walks in darkness. He is lying. And many of us have got to understand that oftentimes we lie to ourselves. We certainly lie to each other. We often lie to the Lord in saying that we're obedient when we're not. When we're coming to church out of obedience, when we're coming out of obligation, or when we're serving in church, or living a life, or whatever it is. Even reading your Bible in prayer should not be obligatory. It's out of obedience and understanding that this is for my good, for His glory. Sorensen writes, Our love for God will be manifested in keeping His commandments. The tense again is present. As we love Him, we will be continually obeying Him. The latter follows from the former. If there is no obedience, then there is no love. And if there is no love, then there is no new life. Got to simply obey. And it should be a joy to do so. Because much like the other illustration we just had of taking up trash out of obligation, there's a few times when we're younger that we obey and we're happy to join in the help, right? Little kids are not nuisances. They're happy to be a part of something. They love little jobs to do, even if it is going to get a hammer or hold a flashlight or, hey, will you stir this for mom? Sure. Right? And they feel like they're a part of something. The Lord allows us to play just a little small part in this grand scheme of what He's accomplishing to redeem souls, to build His church, to purify His church. We get to play a little part in it why would we not like that little child of faith? Thank you, Lord. Oh, I get to help. Right. Obediently, joyfully. He says obedience is not burdensome. We often think that it is. When we hear the word obedience, we think of obey, right? Or else. 
Right? We think of this sort of terrible consequence. And I want you to know that the worst consequence about us not obeying the Lord is that we lose fellowship with the Lord. How can we expect power in our services or expect power in our life or expect power in our prayer life if we're not obeying the Lord? We should expect to be miserable. We should expect for our prayers to hit the ceiling and come right back. We should expect to feel empty because we are. We should be full of joyful obedience to the Lord out of what He's done for us. And this is why your salvation still matters, not just to save you and to get you to heaven one day, and then you're stuck in this no man's land. You need to trust and to remember your salvation for your sanctification. If you want to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, look back to the most simple thing, and that is the gospel. You will never outgrow it. You will ever not need it. But it will see us all the way through. It encourages us. I can obey the Lord because of His obedience to the Father to die for my sins, right? I can obey Him because of what He's done for me. Life has changed. Stott writes, The command to love one another does not prove burdensome for those who know God because they have been born of God and love for others who have also been born of God is a natural outworking of that. Excuse me, that was Cruz. Stott writes then, The pernickety regulations of the scribes and Pharisees were heavy burdens, hard to bear. But the yoke of Jesus is easy, and His burden light. God's will is good, pleasing, and perfect. It is the will of an all-wise, all-loving Father who seeks our highest welfare. Obedience does not put chains around you, but obedience to the Lord gives you freedom because we're no longer servants to sin. We're no longer servants to the world. We're no longer even to be servants to our own flesh. But to serve the Lord in obedience, that's where our freedom is. That's where our victory is. That's where our joy is and our peace and our comfort. The more I obey the Lord, the closer I am to Him. Right? It, when I find myself in disobedience, what do I find? I find distance. And I'm going, what happened? Well, I've been disobedient. We've made a mess. It's much easier to lovingly obey Jesus than it is to try to obey the traditions of men or live up to others' expectations. We can't be perfectly obedient to everybody in this world, right? We certainly go, well, I can't in my flesh obey all of God. Sure. Nevertheless, it's much easier to obey Jesus who says His yoke is easy and His burden is light. The yoke and burden of the traditions of men, legalism, and all sorts of terrible things that have burdened Christians and burdened the church for so long. It's nonsense and foolishness. What we need is obedience to the Lord. Obedience to His Word. Not obedience to what so-and-so says or what so-and-so desires. At the end of the day, what matters is not if you please people, but if you please God. And it's not just for pastors to put that in their mind or to put it in their study. But it's for all of us to understand. It matters not who we please in this world, but it matters that we please the one who sits upon the throne of the heavens right now. Another commentator writes, the reason why believers feel any degree of irksomeness in God's commandments is they do not realize fully by faith the privileges of their spiritual life. Really enjoyed that thought on that. You know, we realize and should realize through the new birth that it is a privilege to serve God. Therefore, it should be a joy to obey Him. Not an obligation. Let's be careful of some extremes here. We'll be done. The legalist says, if you are truly saved, then you will never mess up. 
legalist has no idea. The legalist is a liar. The legalist lies about his own sin. I've heard countless stories of preachers who preach against them old devil boxes and cassette tapes and VHSs and DVDs and then for some strange reason in their home they've got a, a whole room of a giant screen TV and nothing but VHS tapes. Right? Okay, well, you can argue about VHS tapes all you want I and mean, it's a little outdated at this point. Nevertheless, we often hear the legalists say, you can't do this. You will be perfect. The one who says, you'll be perfect like I'm perfect. The only one that can ever say, you should be perfect like I'm perfect. The only one that can ever say, be holy as I am holy, is the Lord God Himself. Not one of us have ever arrived yet, and nor will we. The second group of extremes is the liberal. This is the one that we often go, ah, yeah, rah, rah, rah against. But guess what? Here's the issue. We've got plenty on this side, plenty on this side. And there's this beautiful balance where the Lord is there. The liberal says, because of grace... I can live as I choose. What did Paul say to that? God forbid that you try to sin so that grace may abound. Who are we to think that just because we've been saved by grace that now we should abuse grace by living all willy-nilly in our flesh? We see the extremes. One says, oh, you've got to be perfect. You've got to mind your... Never see a, a kneecap or an elbow or an ankle. Never see you mow your grass outside of anything of a suit. Right? Suits have been, I mean, ties were made by some sort of fruitcake Frenchman or something. I mean, they didn't wear suits in Jesus' time. They were wearing robes. John the Baptist, a great preacher, robes, sandals, ate locusts and wild honey in the wilderness, had a beard. We're talking about trying to reach perfection according to whose standard? This is the issue of the legalists. And over here they say, well, we can do whatever we please because God loves me. He does love you, but because He loves you, He's not going to keep you in the world and living as the world. So what does the biblical literalist say? That because of the grace of Jesus, I am saved, not perfect, yet He is continuously working out His love in me that I may faithfully obey Him out of an overflow of love and faith. It brings it back to the Lord. Because of His life, I now live. And it's through His life that I now live. Because of His love, I now can love Him and others. But it's His love that now lives through me so that I can love Him and love others. It is His obedience that now I can now obey Him by faith. But as well, it's His obedience that now lives through me so that I would obey Him and choose Him. Not out of obligation, but out of joyful obedience Loving obedience, faithful obedience because of who He is and what He has done for us. I hope that our hearts choose Jesus not because we think He's up there to beat us over the head with a stick, but rather because He laid down His life for us. Therefore, we live for Him. Let's pray. Lord, we love You. We thank You for this time. Grateful for Your faithfulness. Grateful for Your goodness to us sinners. Lord, I pray that You would help our hearts, Lord, to obey You faithfully and fully. And Lord, that we would do so lovingly and out of obedience, Lord, and not out of some sort of obligation. I pray that now You would prepare our hearts for this worship service, God, that we would worship You, adore You. God, that we would praise You with the right hearts and attitudes. That You would give us a spirit of unity amongst this place. And God, that You would give us Your power and Your presence, Lord, to, to demonstrate to us, Lord, who You are so that we might worship You 
and find our joy and our rest in you. We thank you for this time. We give it to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.